Good morning. Welcome to church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Tim. I am one of the uh, district pastors for the Canada West District of Nazarene. And this is my home church. And today, I get the lovely privilege of finishing off our series, Rooted in the Word. <clears throat> but before we begin, just let me pray and uh, ease, my, ease my nerves. <clears throat> Father God, I pray that you will use me as a tool, an instrument to pass on your message through the Holy Spirit. I pray that you will open the souls, the minds, and the ears of everyone here. Open our souls to the work of the Holy Spirit. Open our minds to what you want us to remember. Open our ears to what you want us to hear. For I speak not in the words taught to me by human wisdom, but by the words given to me by your spirit. Father, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for bringing us together. Even though not all of us are here, we are all here in person. And we know that your spirit will descend upon each and every one of us who watch this video or are with us. Thank you, Father. <clears throat> All our beliefs about Christ, God, the church, and salvation, and the last times come straight from his scripture. The Bible is without exception our most important belief. It is the most important to know that the Bible is true and we must believe it. Everything we as Christians ought to believe flows from the scripture the Bible, the Word of God, everything that we believe. At this moment, I'd like to call my daughter, Jada Lynn, up to read us from Paul's letter to 1 Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with concept, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture the weak woman, burdened with sins and lead astray with, by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so will these men oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not go far, therefore their folly will plain to it all, as this was of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim, and in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my study fest, my persecutions and suffering that have happened to me at sorry, which persecutions, persecutions I endured. Yet from all the Lord has rescued me, indeed all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith of Jesus Christ. 
All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that a man of God may be complete, equipped, and for every good work. Thank you. The reason I decided to get Jada to read the whole scripture, the whole chapter on this, even though I'm not focusing on the whole chapter, I'm only focusing on the last three verses of 14 to 17. But the reason I wanted that is so we kind of get a feel for what Timothy is going through. Timothy is an up-and-coming new preacher. He's been mentored by Paul. He's been taken by, under Paul's wing, and Paul has taught him. Now, the problem is, is Timothy is living in a time very similar to ours. He's living in a time that is filled with hypocrisy. He's living in a time where people are chasing the greed, chasing the money, and not really concentrating on the Word of God. Now, we don't have any proof of what Timothy's first letter to Paul was, but just by, from my studies and from my commentaries on what I've been reading about this passage, this sounds to me that this is a letter that Paul has sent back to Timothy to encourage him, to remind him of what is important. So like I was saying when I came up here, everything we as Christians ought to believe flow from the Scriptures. Everything all scripture. When Paul is writing this to Timothy, he is saying, making it very clear and very loud, and to the reader as well as Timothy, that he is not baiting around the bush. All scripture. He means the whole Bible, not just parts of the Bible. If the Bible says that all scripture is breathed out by God, then all scripture is breathed out by God. There are no level of importance in the scripture. Genesis 1.1 is no different than, than Mark, John 3.16. They're both important. The book of Exodus is just as important as the book of Revelations. All of it is important. All of it is God's word. All parts of it is true. The whole Bible is trustworthy. Billy Graham once said, it doesn't matter what you think about it. The Bible is true whether you accept it or not. There are four, there are four examples out of First Timothy or Second Timothy here that I wanted to share with you that make me confident in what I preach. Number one, the confident the scriptures are inspired. Number two, the scriptures are useful. Number three, the scriptures are equipping. And number four, use the scripture. For number one, it says that all scripture is inspired. Well, all scripture is breathed out and inspired by God. All of them. Breathed out by God is saying that the scriptures are not human. They consist of the breath of God. Distinguish it from human's breath. It is original from God. The Greek word for this is theoponophysis. The only occurrence in the Bible where this word is used. And it basically means the divine and in, divine in origin. The Bible is literally God's breath. The Bible is saying that God used the same breath that he created you and I and mankind with to give out these instructions, to give us the Bible. Let's think about that for a second. The same breath that God created all humanity, all the world, the universe, everything with, is the same breath that he used to write the scriptures. He inspired people to write this. You know, I was driving home from work the other day, and uh, I was listening to Focus on the Family. And the guest was speaking about, uh, said, stated something like this. 
He said that if you are starved without oxygen for more than five to eight minutes, you will die. And I thought about that for a second. I'm like, darn. If the scripture is God breath, and we don't believe it, then we are surely bound to die. When I got home, I started to, this kept sitting on my mind and kept thinking about it, so I started to Google it, and I just said, is this really true, like five to six minutes without air? I know there's people that can hold their breath for a long time. Like, this can't be true. And according to Google, it says, time is very important when an unconscious person is not breathing. Permanent brain damage begins after only four minutes without oxygen, and death can occur as soon as four to six minutes. So if we cannot live without being able to breathe in four to six minutes, I would say that our relationship with God will not survive if we don't spend four to six minutes with him a day. His very breath that he bestowed upon us as in the creation is also the very breath that he expelled upon the writers of the scripture. You see, when God breathed out his word to the writers of the scripture, he revealed, to himself, he revealed himself to them by saying words that were a reflection of himself. When we speak... The words that come out of our mouth are a reflection of what we're really thinking about. So when God spoke the scriptures and the writer wrote them down, they became an inspiration. God spoke and his character came out and inspired the writers, hence making the scriptures inspired by God. John, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, It is the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the, of the soul and of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When we kicked off this series, Pastor Brian preached on that verse, on the power of the, of the scriptures. Then Pastor Trent came up and he preached to us about the importance of re- living on the scriptures and using it as a sustenance, and how if we fill our bodies with junk, we're not going to be able to sustain and we won't be able to withstand the temptations of the devil. Then Pastor Tammy came up last week and told us on how the importance of a foundation is. If we don't have the foundations in the scriptures, when the times of turmoil come, our scriptures will be de- our life will change. The, wor- the Bible has become a source of communication between us and God. It should become the most valuable thing that we have. Because of what the scriptures are, we are compelled to value them, pursue them, and study them. That leads us to point number two on this verse number 16. It says the scriptures are useful. Well, what does the scripture mean when it says the scriptures are useful? Well, John Wesley, one of the founding members of the Nazarene Church, says, The Spirit of God not only once inspired those who wrote it, but continually inspires, supernaturally assists those who read it with earnest prayer, Hence, it is so profitable for doctrine, for instruction, and of the ignorant for reproof or conviction of them that are in error of sin, for the correction or amendment of whatever is amiss, and for instructing or training up the children of God in all righteousness. Paul says in the second half of verse 16, he says the scriptures are profitable for teaching, they're profitable for reproof, they're profitable for correction, and they are for training in righteousness. Let's give a a quick second here on what those four points mean. Teaching. When Paul says the profitable for teaching, he's talking about Scripture. Scripture was written for our instruction. 
The scripture have been breathed out by God as a fundamental of instructing us and how to lead us and how to live us or how for us to live. The word of God teaches us about how to live a godly life. It is our primary and our only source of doctrine in the Christian church. Our primary and only source of doctrine. Doctrine is our belief in God, in Christ, in salvation, the world, and eternity. This is all informed by the scripture. You know, as Jada was reading the first part of this chapter, that's kind of the importance of why I wanted to bring that up, is it, because it tells us of the kind of world that Timothy was living in at that time. We're living in that same world. We are. And that is our, pro- our job as Christians and as believers and as followers of Christ to be an example, to step out of that world and be a total different mold. If you're not studying the Bible regularly in our personal lives, in our church, how can we expect to recognize the teachings of the unbiblical? We all know what's been happening over the last six or seven months about different things that have happened through different pastors and their beliefs and our beliefs. If we don't know the Bible, how can we know what is true and what is right? Timothy was being, in both, letters of, uh, in both letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, we see that Timothy is under a lot of pressure. He's a, like I said earlier, he's a young, up-and-coming new pastor. According to the commentaries, he's probably in his mid-40s. There's no record of him ever being married. And in that time and error, that was a big, big black marks, check marks of what, what is not important. He can't be a pastor, he's not married. He can't be a pastor because he's too young. He doesn't know the scriptures. Number one, and most importantly of all things, he can't be a pastor because he's not a Jew. He's half Greek. But Paul writes this letter back to Timothy, and he says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come and straighten this all out, I devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Paul emphasizes that the source of sound teaching comes from the Bible. And he's telling Timothy, remember what you were taught. Remember since you were a kid. Yeah, you didn't go to the Jewish schools. You didn't have a Jewish father, which was the responsibility of the Jewish father to teach the kids the law. He goes, but you had a mom, and you had a grandmother that taught you the importance of the scriptures. Remember them. And when Paul brings that up earlier on in there, he's not just talking about uh, saying the importance of being taught the Jewish ways. He's throwing this out as a, a pat on the back to all those that are teaching these kids. You know, on a normal Sunday, we have our children's wing next door, which is filled with volunteers. When Paul is talking about Timothy, remembering your grandmother and your mother raising you, and remember those scriptures, he's also talking to the folks that are next door preaching to these children, that are raising these children, that are teaching them. If I were to ask any of you guys here, who was the most influenced in your, Bible, in your childhood as a, scripture, a scriptural person? I'd say probably 90% of them would say your mother. Right? 
Now, if, you were unfor- uh, if you're one of the few that didn't have that religious upbringing, like myself, for instance, I, from the time I was born to the time I was about six, seven years old, I was being passed around in a uh, foster homes until I got adopted. And when I got adopted, I was blessed to be adopted by a God-fearing family. The way I met my parents was through Sunday school. Their son came to me one day in kindergarten and said, Tim, do you want to come to school, Sunday school with me? And my foster parents said, sure, take them. Get rid of them for a while. I went to that church, and it wasn't a big church. It was just a small church in somebody's living room. And that's where I was exposed to the scripture. And that's why this passage is so passionate to me. Because it's reminding me of when I was young. The second point that Timothy, uh, Paul makes in, ver- in verse, uh, chapter 16 is teaching. Scripture was written for our instruction, Romans 15.4. Paul says that mineral time, several times, that it was written for our instruction. The Scriptures have been breathed out by God as a fundable, mint, a fundable way of inscripting us, or instructing us. <clears throat> Give me a second here. It's a little dry. The Word of God teaches us how to live godly lives. It is our primary and our only source of doctrine. Doctrine is the belief in Christ, in God, in salvation, in the world, and the eternity. This is all informed by Scripture. As believers, we need to make sure that we are being informed and taught by the Scriptures. The th- second point that, Timothy, uh, that Paul makes to Timothy here is about reproof. <clears throat> Paul says that all scriptures are useful for reproof. The best way to describe the word of reproof is criticism to a fault. This, too, is a wonderful, uh, fundamental use of the scripture. Scripture should serve as a reproof for doctrinal, doct- doctrinal errors. Paul could be referring to the scriptures, or to the proof that exposes the false teachings and the heretics that Timothy was dealing with. Scriptures can rebuke and show sinners like us the many failures and show us what we need to do about in our personal lives. When Jesus prayed for us in John 17, 17, he said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Being sanctified means to be set apart. It is a struggle to be set apart from the sin in our lives. And that's how Jesus prays for us. He prays that we can be set apart and be an example of him. God's word is truth. Our God is a living God. And his words, the Bible, are the scriptures, however you want to say it. And those who believe it will drive fear into the heart and souls of the wicked. It is not very pleasant when God points out our own mistakes that we read through learning when we become convicted of reading the scriptures. But then we have the lovely privilege of being able to look into the scriptures on how to deal with that, on our convictions and what we're being convicted of. Think of those who do not have the scriptures to fall back on. And they hear pastors preaching about this and that and how bad they are and this because this is what isn't right. That's what Paul is telling us when he tells us that it's useful for reproof, not to hold it over people and not to, I don't, and this is probably not the right word to use, but not to lord it over people and say, I'm a Christian, this is what the Bible says, do what I say. Paul is telling us that's not what he, we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to be there with them. 
As my wife says all the time, love the sinner, hate the sin. That's what Paul is telling us to do. That is what reproof means. Third thing Paul says in verse 16 is correction. Paul says that the scripture is also used for correction. This is very similar to reproof, but a little bit different. Because once scriptures have convicted, the correction is deal more of you and I personally who read the book, who read the Bible, to correct our sins, right? So it's very similar to reproof, but a little bit different. It's more focused towards the believers. The Bible reveals to us our sins and all the deep and dirty and ugly, crappy things that are in our life that are in our closet. The Bible reveals them to us. And once we have been convicted of these scriptures, then it helps us repair us, and it helps rebuild us again. No one likes to be corrected, but praise God that not only are our wrongs revealed to us, but we are shown how to stay on the way of righteousness. In Psalms 1 verse 5, David is talking about how he has been convicted of his sin, but then how God came down and saved him and led him back onto the way of righteousness. When we're convicted, we search the ways, the scriptures on ways to overcome our conviction and allow the scriptures to correct us and make us correct us wrong. Like I said, the scripture penetrates our souls, it penetrates our minds, and it penetrates everything in our life. That is why it is so important to be rooted in the word of God. One of my commentaries made this very awesome point that I want to share with you. It says, God's word does not lack knowledge. Therefore, to, know, therefore, to fully know the human's heart, one must know God's word. Pretty powerful. Know the, fully know the human's heart, one must know God's word. The fourth thing that Paul says in, uh, in verse 16 is the training, for training. Paul says that scriptures are for training in righteousness. The scriptures are designed to train us in godly living. Training involves the action of taking, teaching a people to acquire a particular skills in life or behavior. Uh, the idea here is the scriptures teaches, rebukes, corrects us, and trains us to live in that righteousness. The, do, the Bible makes the doctrine come alive in all areas of our lives. All of these uses for Scripture are intermingled and sometimes overlap, but they are for the training for all of us in righteousness. A spiritual workout program, so to speak. The more we spend in this, the Bible, the more of a workout we're going to get in our spiritual life, which then leads us on to about the, uh, when Paul is talking in Ephesians about the putting on the full armor of God. Once you start getting into the Word and allowing the Word to get into you, you will begin to notice that you are becoming exactly what God wants you to be. The Bible is here for you to read so that you may be able to study it, to learn it, and use it in every aspect of your life. But not just your life, the life of everybody you come in contact with on a daily basis. If you hope in your own life to overcome error and grow in doctrine, overcome evil, and progress in personal holiness, then turn to the scriptures. This kind of leads us into uh, verse 17. In verse 17, we, we now have been kind of taught about the inspiration of the Bible. 
Now we are going to be taught about what it means by being equipped. Okay? Um, I'm careful at the four individual uses of the scripture. So now let's look at how the scriptures are going to equip us. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul is telling Timothy here about the purpose for which God intends the scriptures to be useful. Paul tells Timothy that all of these uses for scriptural services, scripture, serve one chief purpose, and that is for the spiritual maturity of the man of God. Now, the phrase man of God does not just apply to a Christian in general, it applies to all humanity. The idea, all humanity, because all of us are created in God's image. We may not have turned our life around and asked God into our life yet, but we're still a man of God. And those of us that do believe in the scriptures are man of God, human of God, we're all humankind. But those of us who believe in God and are convicted by the scriptures are able to show these people, bring this, humanity, this community together, no matter who they are. But in order to do that, we need to be complete and equipped for God's purpose. The scriptures are how we can be complete. We have, all, we have all we need in the Bible to do God's work in the word, to be obedient to his commands, for the Bible makes us complete as believers. The scriptures are for Christians to be equipped to a very good work. Similar to be complete, this means that the word of God enables us to meet all the demands of godly and righteous living. For believers, we are called to live godly lives. But we cannot and will not if we are not equipped with the word of God. This leads me to my final point. How do we use the Bible? For many, for many people, the only time the Bible is ever open is on a Sunday morning. And those seeing people wonder why they don't have this devotion and this communication with God. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that in order to have a communication with God and to have that relationship with him, we need to open his Bible. We need to open the Bible because it's every scripture is God breath. Every verse in here has a point to somebody in your time. You could pick up any verse in here and, something, and dig something out of it. It doesn't matter if it's about the whole genealogies and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. Somebody in there is important. There is some reason for it. But we will not know that if we do not use our Bible. We need to read it. The more we read, the more we will want to read it. The more we will be equipped, and the more we will use its teachings. You can't just read the Bible, though. You have to be able to meditate upon it. This is not just a simple suggestion, for the Bible implies that you should meditate on the Scriptures. In Psalms 119, verse 15, 48, and 97, Paul is telling us the longest chapter in the Bible that you need to meditate on the Scriptures. What does meditation on the Scripture mean? That's your way of dealing with it. You meditate on the Scriptures the way you meditate. I'm not going to tell you how I meditate on the Scriptures, and I'm not going to tell you how so-and-so meditates on the Bible. The way you meditate on the Bible is when you sit there, you read that Bible, and you pray, and you say, God, show me what you want to learn. Show me what you want me to know. That's your meditation. And whether it's writing papers down, researching the Bible, like when I prepare for a sermon, I read my text, and I go, I go through all my commentaries. I've got, like, tons of them, and uh, I read every little thing. My sermon, actually, for today went, started out with 56 pages. 
So don't worry, I didn't use all 56. I'm only using 18. So that's the thing that I'm telling you about is that the importance is every way you meditate on this scripture is to help you be develop that confidence. And that's all it is. About the most important thing about the Bible is to be confident and know that the Bible is true. I'm going to skip a couple pages here because I'm going to get to something that's important right now. God's will is revealed in the Bible. 1 John 5, verse 14 to 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. When you read your Bible every day, let what you've read compel you to pray and pray about it. Have that relationship with God. I just completed a course uh, through one, uh, from my uh, district license here, and it was called uh, Telling the Old Testament Story of God. And one of the quotes that came out of it came, that, that stuck to me in my head was that there's two purposes in the Bible. Out of the whole Bible, there's two main purposes of it. The number one person is God revealing himself to us. And the second purpose of the Bible is for us to reveal ourselves to God. Reading the Bible is observing it, interpreting it, and applying it to our daily lives. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up here for, and we'll get into our, our uh, conclusion here. But as they come up, I want you guys to know my prayer is that all of you remember anything that is said today. My prayer is that you confidently know that God's word is true and is given to us from him indirectly. The Bible is the everlasting breath of God. I could not and would not be up here standing in front of you guys all today if the Bible was not alive and the grace of God was not real. Some of you guys know my story and some of you all don't. I'm going to end with one little thing here. Many years ago, I was in a very dark place. I was surrounded in this concrete building and I was surrounded by darkness. I don't know how long I was there. I was yelling. I was screaming. I was asking for somebody to talk to me. But nobody came. All of a sudden, I felt this warmth around me. And the scriptures of God came to me. All the scriptures that I learned from being a child in that little living room classroom. Number one verse that came to my mind is Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those that wait upon the Lord will grow wings of, wing, will grow the wings of eagles. And then Jeremiah, I can't remember the words, but it's basically the verse about saying, when you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. I developed you. Those verses have stuck with me for my entire life. You know, as I was running through this quickly here uh, this morning, kind of reviewing, Revelations chapter 20 came to my mind. It says, The Spirit and the Bible says, Come, and let the one who hears you say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add him to the plagues described in this book. 
And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies these things say, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. That's the last verses of the Bible. As Nathan and the worship team bring us together, they're bringing a song called Days of Elijah. It's a song of jubilation, a song of the power of the scripture. Let's meditate on that for a minute as I close in prayer. Father, thank you for being here. Thank you for sending your spirit upon us. Lord, as we go out into this world that we are now in, I pray that your words will sit upon our hearts. I pray that your blessings will pour onto everyone that has listened to this and everyone that was here today. And Lord, we know your Bible is true, but there's so many out there that don't. Lord, as we go out into this week, please help us to be able to grow, grow to have that confidence and to have that exhortation that you are here. You are our God. And you love us. And we know that you love us because you sent your only begotten son to us to die upon that tree and to die upon that cross so that I could be saved by you, God. Your Bible tells us that. The same word, the same breath that you breathed upon us to create this beautiful world is the same breath that impound our souls on a daily basis, Lord. God, please send your spirit upon this world. Descend upon us and help us to be that example of you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name.